This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take, it's back. Oh yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fennessy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh yeah, it's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am okay, thanks Musa. All how good. You? You're, mo- you're mobile, you're holding the mic. <laughs> I am. I am. Recording in an undisclosed location that meant I had to go handheld. So you look like Doom out there. <laughs> I'm going to start turning around being like, the mic is a shoddy. The, the mic is a shoddy, nobody get hurt. <laughs> how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Very well. Uh, temperature in Berlin, obviously you're in the UK at the moment. Uh, temperature in Berlin dropped a little Don't bit. Tell them that. Sorry. <laughs> temperature <laughs> in Berlin dropped a little bit. Um, so just adjusting to that. But otherwise, good, man. Otherwise, good. Yeah, yeah. You know what you need to do when that happens? What's that? You need to play Mob Deep, Temperatures Rising, and turn it really loud. That's great advice, actually. Mm. That's great advice. If it doesn't make you warmer, it will piss your neighbours off, which, you know. <laughs> I've got generates, lovely neighbours. Shout out to my neighbours. Kind of heat. <laughs> brings heat. Brings a different kind of heat. <laughs> my neighbours are lovely. They're lovely. Oh, well. I'm happy Sli- slightly angry dog. <laughs> Sli- <laughs> slightly, slightly angry dog. <laughs> but apart from that, we're good. Uh, do, we have, do we have to do any admin? Mm, uh, no, I don't think so. No? No books? No Part books done this week? No books on this week. No, no. <laughs> no? No, no. I heard a rumour that you were writing another one. <laughs> rumors listen they're going everywhere rumors all over the place <laughs> oh, that's, i was i was expecting you to say something like when one is an author one is never not writing a novel <laughs> are we not always writing the stories of our lives isn't life one big one big novel one novel extended that we're authoring one extended poem 
<laughs> wow. What a start. What a start. Uh, admin, right his house and counterpressed. Go and check them out. Hey, that's really good this week, counterpressed. Well, the second one, it's, t- it's twice good. a week now, isn't it? Twice a yes. week. Yes, and two right his houses as well. Yeah, yeah. That's the float and the gang. Um, check the ringer.com. Check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. And I feel like there's something we're missing, admin wise. But I can't remember. Mail out soon. Mail out coming soon. Yeah, we do need to do one. Mm. Um, If you want to sign up for that, go to stadio.football, scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in. We only use it to send you an occasional email. Yeah, I've actually got some fun bits and pieces for that, uh, including, you know, know the the, the tactical cam of Messi from above, that pass against um, the Netherlands, the amazing pass he does in the World Cup. Someone basically has put together all his best moments from a tactical cam in the World Cup. Yes, and it's unbelievable. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I found the video of that. So um, I'll put that as a link. Uh, I'll put that in for the mail out, actually. Oh, I'm that's asking, oh, cool. The mail out study a lot will like that. Yeah. Nice. It's cool, All right, then, it? so today we're going to touch on a little bit of football very, very briefly at the top of the show, and then we're going to talk on two pretty grim stories from this week. Yeah. One about the findings from the FA's independent panel about John Yems, the former... Crawley Town manager and um, being deemed to be unconsciously racist or not a conscious racist or saying stuff not in a consciously racist way or whatever it is. Anyway, there was something that said conscious or unconscious and racist in in it and eyes rolled. Yeah, a report which seemed to care more about the person causing harm than the people whose careers were harmed. Well, irreparably. And also we're going to talk about Sarah Bjork Gunnar Stortia's, um case with Leon. Yeah. Which uh, she did a Players Tribune piece this week where she detailed what happened when she was off on maternity leave as a Leon player. And I think it's opened a lot of eyes as to what women athletes have to go through, women footballers in particular at this at this level. And I think gives some people a little bit more insight into well if this can happen at a side that is deemed to be the trailblazer yeah for women's football in Europe to possibly the best defensive midfielder in the world or one of one down the pyramid yeah you know so we'll talk about that and then we will talk about Everton a little bit because also and I'll mention it later but I went back and listened to our we need to talk about Everton podcast which we did about a year ago to the day Mm. when Rafa Benitez was fired and basically we could have just replayed some of that in, but oh overdubbed the Richarlison for other things because Richarlison's not there. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, I think that will do us for today. Let's, Let's get it. into it after this. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. 
car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, man, we have to briefly start in the Premier League. Yes, yes. Because Crystal Palace salvaged a late draw against Manchester United. They did. Thanks to an absolutely obscene free kick from Elise. Beautiful player. Beautiful player. Uh, I was, I was, I was really into the non-celebration. Why Michael was there Lisa? a non-celebration? What was that about? It was either like, holy shit, I've just done that, or like, and what? You know, actually, what a spectacular player Lisa is, and every time he plays against one of the bigger clubs, it's almost like his level rises. Mm. Um, Crystal Palace with great value for this point, I think. Uh, United with a really great open. In fact, the, this game actually, let's just say this game was of a really great intensity. Really great intensity. Um, I love this match of football. Obviously not the, not delighted by the outcome, but I think the result was fair. Um, United played with real fluidity. You see the plan now with Weghorst. Actually, it's very similar to France 2018, actually with the flying wingers and Weghorst as the pivot. He was really impressive in terms of his mobility. Uh, Weghorst is not the quickest, but his positioning was really good in this game. His combination play was excellent. Um, it was similar to what he did at Wolfsburg. You know, he had the same thing. He wasn't the fastest player there, but had flying wingers going off him, like Joao Victor, and it worked well. And it's looking good again. And you're seeing now, like, I don't think he's a, he's obviously not the long-term solution, but you see now why United have been talking about, or they've been talking about Osimhen, because in a system like that, it works really, really well. It I works mean, the goal really literally well. came from Vekos freeing up space for... Finance to have all of this time and space on the edge of the box. Yeah, That's great combination between Rashford and Ericsson um, and then just the layoff and, and finance finishing really, really well. I just to be honest, I think if United yeah. had won the game, I don't think it would have been unfair. I think no, no, not, just, not I at think, all. I think they'd done enough to win the game. I thought the Palace, specifically in the second half, late, mm. toward, late in the second half, they did, they had their best spells. I thought that at, parts, at times in the game, mm. they created... R- really good scenarios and were just really untidy with the ball. Like the ball just wasn't sticking. Yeah, yeah. And if they'd made it stick, they could have caused United way more problems. Mm. I'm glad for Palace with that result because they were, they've gone slightly sideways this year, I think. Um, I mean, just based on that run of defeats that they've been on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in terms of their, in terms of their arc, you know, this mm. year as opposed to last year, if you talk about progress, Maybe slightly sideways, but also there is, you know, there's, there's a resources issue as well. Um, mm. there's, there was a, I think there was a bits of anti-owner protests as well. So there's some, a bit of concern there, a disgruntled uh, segment of the fan base, which is natural, I think at this point, um, with some of the results they've had. But just on United, very, very quickly, just to say, just because I need to, Luke Shaw's passing out from the back is spectacular. Can I just say He's that? Just like, really good. I'm just so glad that, you know, you see certain footballers that have made that have achieved their full potential. And I say this only because I just saw that Lucas Ocampos headed back to Sevilla. That's a player who started out, you know, brilliantly, wow. you know, so highly rated and, you know, and this is not a disrespect to him. I was, in terms of what he's won and the impact he's had, he's a player who I hoped would have, I hope would have had a, a, bit, a better moment in the spotlight, you know, than he's had in his career. Mm. And to see Luke Shaw arrive in football at Southampton and, and be so highly touted, there was a period where he thought it wouldn't quite work out for him and it really, really has. So I'm just happy that, that he's, um, he's fulfilled all his promise, really. Yeah, so I mean, he's just, he's just really good. He's a great player, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah really good. A um, couple of issues for United. Well, first of all, the penalty shout on McTominay. Mm. 
from is it Chris Richards? Yeah, I think it was Richards. Yep, yep. Now, at first, I, in real time, I thought this was a nailed on penalty. And mm. then on slow mo, I couldn't tell. Like, it depended on how quick they ran the camera. One touch, it looked like, on one run, it looked like Richards slightly touches the ball with his like toe. Mm. And, and then when they slowed it down another time, I was just like, oh, actually, did he? And I think that that's probably created the doubt because they're trying to do this thing, aren't they, with VAR, where it's like, unless it's a, a glaring error. Mm. Like, for example, if the Casemiro tackle had taken place in the penalty box and the ref had waved play on, I think he probably would have given a penalty. Right, right. Yeah, that's fair. I just think you, I just think with the, with the United and the amount of... Am I being a with, bit... No, no, because with the quick... Mm. United have got fast forwards, right? They've got fast mm. forwards and they've got fast midfielders who break well. And they're going to get more of these incidents than most teams just because of the nature of how they break into the box. Okay, so there are some penalties United get on the other side of the margin and there are others they don't. And this is just, it just evens out. I think a lot of people look at this and be like, ah, oh, we could have gone second. I think absolutely right. Um, as United fans, it's frustrating, but stepping back from it, there's penalties United, there's penalties we've got before where you're like, ah, oh, like, you know, you know, there's ones that you've seen them given. There are just some you get and there are some you don't. And it's unfortunate this was at a pivotal point. Mm. It's unfortunate this could have been the tunnel on the clincher. And it's unfortunate Casemiro is booked for, and he's missing for the game again. Well, it's not for mm. Arsenal fans, but, but fundamentally you get some and you don't get others. And United yeah. have won, they've won by more than a one goal margin at Palace before. So it's not new to them yeah. in, in recent I think, I think, years. Yeah, I think United yeah. had a couple of chances. They had enough chances to do better to put before. Exactly, exactly. It's a draw at Palace. You know what? A draw at Palace has been a good result. Freezing cold night at Selhurst Park. <laughs> a draw at Palace has been a good result. Hello, what? Since the beginning of time, pretty much. So yeah, it's a draw at Palace. <laughs> yeah, it's a draw at Palace. Yeah. Uh, I liked David De Gea's thing on Casemiro, where he said, I don't get why Arsenal don't play, as we have to play in the same week and they don't. Now we are missing one of our best players. I don't understand. Now we miss him for a big game and it's a big loss for us, which it is but I'm not sure how another team playing another game in the same week stops Casemiro from getting a booking. Also, shout out to Casemiro becoming so important so quickly. Yeah. Just shout I mean, out to him. Yeah, coming in and Casemiro, just... Casemiro, man. That's like, there's just some things that you just, no matter how old and wise you get, you just, you just, sometimes it's just... Ryan, no offence, but that's the first time in any recorded language someone has said the phrase, poor Casemiro. <laughs> that has never been said. <laughs> oh, that has never been said. Laos was watching this game, right? Mateo Laos back in Spain, and he was just like, that's for all the refs who didn't book you. This is, I would have can you I just, can I just I say, you this ah, is not- your, your wonderfully cute face didn't save you now, did it, Casemiro? <laughs> <laughs> that guy's got away with so many yellows in the past, but just because it's just, it just he, he turns around, and he's just like, oh, oh, how can I book, oh, oh, I can't book this guy? Look at him. Exactly. He's so cute. It's like booking a koala. It's like you can't. <laughs> you can't. It's so friendly. Yeah, it's like koalas are the only animals that people don't get pissed off when they actually wee on them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're just like, no, they wee oh, on me. Oh, must be my fault. Cute. Must be something I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. We'll still cuddle. No. They're, they're literally weeing on you. Oh, yeah, it's fine. They're so cute. <laughs> oh Casemiro dear. the koala oh, um, it's going to be a big miss for United that but I think I thought Ten Hag was really good about that afterwards which is like we've beaten Arsenal without in this season once I was just like flex I heard that I was like woof man, man he's talking he's talking business. he's in a talk, roll talk. neck coming yeah, yeah. with some fucking he's spitting 
Like, He's did you really see the, on that? Did you see the KD thing with Stan Van Gundy? Hilarious. Stan spitting, and he was just like, no, no, no. He's just like, no, Stan, man, I'm agreeing with you. And then someone's like, <laughs> spitting means that you're, ch- you're, you know, you're talking facts. And he was just like, oh, I didn't that know. was the most dad moment I've ever seen in NBA Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stan. Oh dear. Uh, anything else from this game? Are we good? Uh, no, I think we're good. Good. No. Yeah, there was FA Cup this week as well. Um, mm. Lovely goal from Harvey Elliott in Liverpool's game against Wolves. They were replays this week. Yeah. Um, so Liverpool going through. The BBC had a had a tricky night. They did, they did. Um, you've probably all heard or seen the clips by now. Yes. Um, we need to talk about Leeds very quickly. Yes. Yes. Couple of Excellent goals. win well, for them. Amazing goals um, in this game. Over Cardiff. They looked five superb. Two, yeah. They were 5-0 up. Took the early lead and then just absolutely steamrolled and that was important for them because Jesse Marsh came out recently and gave an interview a quite sort of pugnacious interview saying that um, reports that players had, senior players had lost faith and were overblown Phil Hay at the Athletic yeah. doing a good piece on how Leeds struggling can see a certain type of goal um, over and again which is a you know, regular defensive floor for them a tough time for Leeds I think because teams around them that you might look at who've got similar resources and set up are really surging and it kind mm. of highlights their problems. You look at like Leeds and you look at, let's say a Brentford or a Brighton, teams that have come up and you'd expect them to be pushing on. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that Leeds are exactly the same as those clubs, but do you know what I mean? Like when a club that has come up, you know, this year or a couple of years ago has come up and doing well, like a Fulham, mm. it almost like makes you look at your own situation and criticise it. Uh, I don't know, when Jesse Marsh came out and talked like that, I do worry, and I said this before, I worry that he sometimes makes hard work of it. And I almost feel like, I get it, I get why you're frustrated. I also think you shouldn't let the mask slip as much as you do. Yeah, there was one moment where he bit back in a press conference that we praised him for once. And I think that the problem is, is that for those moments to have a real impact, they have to be very few and far between. I think that's right. And that's right. And the rest of the time, you know, it's like why the Potter thing was a bit like, oh, mm. you know, because you don't really see Graham Potter do that that often. But, um, Phil Hay said something interesting. I think he was. I think it was Phil Hay's piece in Athletic. He talks about Leeds being an extremely uh, emotional club, and I saw a phrase like that. And I thought to myself, "Do you know what? Then that's about setting the tone. It's about leadership." And you look at someone like Ancelotti's calm, right? I think you can come in like with an Ancelotti type calm and come in and you set a different kind of tone. I think you go, you almost need to be. You can either channel the chaos through you and be this kind of like um, pulsating figure. Vessel, man. You can be, you can, yeah, you can be like a pulsating figure or you can be a sort of a calm at the heart of it. And I think, I think Leeds need that actually. Mm. I think if they, I think if you have that, it takes a lot of the noise. You know, you talked the other day about United and there being no noise. I think you need a, a leadership style, which is no noise at Leeds actually. That was, that was the thing that was so great about Bielsa was because he unleashed absolute chaos on the football pitch and he just sat in a bucket and let it all happen. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, do your, it's like, do your worst, you know? Um, great opening goal from Wilfred Nonto in the first minute. Gorgeous finish, yeah. Happy for Patrick Banford as well, getting a couple of goals after coming on. Mm. Um, that'll do him the world of good. He's not had the most games, the most playing time, yeah. No. Uh, just quickly elsewhere in the FA Cup, West Brom beating Chesterfield 4-0 on their replay. Luton with a 98th minute winner. Um, from Elijah Adebayo to beat Wigan, they were good. They were good looting as well. They had some. They had a couple of really good opportunities. A couple cleared off the line as well. 
Um, Bristol City beating Swansea after extra time, 2-1. Birmingham beating Forest Green, 2-1. So the FA Cup next round is all sorted. Good times. And uh, those ties being played at the end of January. Other little bits of football I want to shout out before we jump into the analysis. Cremonese beating Napoli in the uh, Coppa Italia round of 16. Shout out to them. Great win for them. They took the lead. Looked really good for it. Osimhen missed a really good chance uh, deep in extra time to make it 3-2. Cremonese getting the win after Lobotka, um missed his penalty. Um, Felix Gian, formerly of the Roma Parish under Mourinho, getting the winning penalty there. So shout out to Cremonese. Great win for them. Um, not the worst to defeat for Napoli with all they've got on their plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Inter beating um, AC Milan in the Italian Super Cup over in mm. Saudi Arabia. Apparently the first time they've beaten Milan in a final. Wow. Can I say, shame there weren't more in the crowd because that's a big, big, yeah, that's a big, yeah. big match that. Like, it's a long way to go um, to play uh, a one-off fixture. Well, yes, it's it. nice. It's nice to get a full house for that, but shame they couldn't get that in. Um, mm. It doesn't feel significant the timing of the placement of that. I don't want to sound harsh when I talk about that fixture because mm. it was, you know, Milan Derby and all the rest of it. There's something like the timing of it that just makes it feel mm. off, you know, yeah, yeah. the placement of the season. Yeah. 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 And in Serie A, Salernitana reappointed Davide Nicola two days after sacking him <laughs> after they lost 8-2 to Atalanta on the weekend, which uh, I, Someone tweeted us about that and they were unhappy they didn't even get a mention and that they were That's unhappy that now Musa Okwonga wants to talk about Napoli more than he wants to talk about Atalanta. Wow, and, uh, okay, sounds, people, listen, The listen. people have noticed. Sounds like... Uh... Might have been my burner. It sounds like a jilted lover. Um, no, no, but can I say that's that's a fair shout not mentioning Atalanta because it was a remarkable victory. Mm. And I think... There was a lot that, of football that weekend. That I, we think, I, think that also, I think also, let's, let's be honest, also I think sacking... Um, someone after a defeat by Atlanta and absolute hosing is an overreaction because when a team like that catches fire, they just, anyone can get it. Mm. Actually, while we're on Atlanta, very quickly, a belated shout out for Adam Lookman, who's been spectacular. You know, if you cast your minds back to him missing that Penenka penalty uh, for mm. Fulham, all that work at West Ham, I think all that time ago, um, the bottom of the Premier League and what he's done now, this is someone who's completely turned around their career. And just, I think, an inspiration to a lot of players, actually. Because when he when he missed that, it felt like he was on a on a real downward spiral. But he pulled it mm. back. Sat up Definitely, to him. man. Yeah, yeah. Um, just returning to that Salernitana thing quickly. Uh, can I just read you some quotes from club president Danilo Iavellino? Changed his mind after a conversation, and he said, "You only realise how much you love someone when they leave." <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny! Because I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Uh, other, uh, D- Danny Ings signed for West Ham. I'd love that. Oh, then again, the Skamaka signing there. That's a, I know. West Ham. They're going to go big man, little man up top. I like that. They're going through at West Ham. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a conversation pounds, we have to have at some signing. point. We've got to talk about West Ham at some point because that's, yeah, um, they're having a tough time over there. Um, any other football news you want to qu- uh, talk about quickly? Games this week? Anything Just to say, Atlanta, still love you. Don't worry. You're oh. not forgotten. It's always in my heart. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man. Should we begin with the John Yems? I think we have to. I think we have to. <sighs> right. So, uh, John Yems, former manager of Crawley Town, was charged with uh, racial discrimination by the Football Association. There was an independent panel of three members that was convened to adjudicate the case, um, which was brought by several former play- well, current and former players of his. The ruling was delivered this week and there was an 80-month ban, uh, which is the largest ban, Sky Sports tell us, that has ever been issued for use of discriminatory language. The FA themselves, though there was, first of all, there was a huge backlash against this on social media. A huge mm-hmm. backlash. And rightly so, in my opinion. There were players who left the club because of the language that he was confirmed to have used and his behaviour that was confirmed to be conducted. So, you know, players actually left the club and these were young players. One of them was on loan um, from Queen's Park Rangers. So they're players, young players at a pivotal point of their careers who came into the place of work needing a duty of care that he did not deliver. That's the headline here. But the headline has... That's the true headline, in my opinion. The headline has become that because he was found by this panel, this independent panel, not to have been guilty of conscious racism, but rather subconscious racism, his ban was not longer. The Football Association was angry at the findings of their independent panel, and they're considering their legal options. All hell has broken loose. This, and I've said this on Twitter, I'll say again, this ruling is a disaster. It is a disaster. It's a nightmare for the FA. It is an absolute nightmare for the FA. And to be honest with you as well, I'm, I don't normally, I don't like to sort of call people out in this way. Wolverhampton Wanderers, one of the members of the independent panel is the, I think the, the, the manager of football operations at Wolverhampton Wanderers. And I look at that and think, I don't know, I don't understand how you can be in charge of an organisation, have all, and see all you see in football and issue a report like this. Like, do better. Like, the reason I'm concerned about this report, and I read this report in full, it's only 24 pages, I think, so not, not that long. The concern I had with this report, it spent more time considering the feelings of the person, John Yems, who had caused the harm than the people who'd, the players who'd suffered the harm. Now, and I used to be a lawyer back in the day, and you had, you had a thing before when, like, um, when things like this happen, you have like victim impact statements, and people talk about what it's done to them, right? I heard more about John Yems and how he was a nice guy and how he was not politically correct, uh, but that's just the way he manages and that's, he's a person of his time. As if Graham Taylor and Arsene Wenger, you know, Graham Taylor who's passed away now and Arsene Wenger who's older than John Yems and he was so progressive towards black players in football, as if those aren't players, as if those aren't managers of their time. There's this assumption that somehow because you're 62, you can fundamentally get away with having young players come into your orbit and talk to them like that and only get 18 months banned. And, and my thinking is actually, why is someone like that working football at all, to be honest? Like if you've, if you've used that kind of language and you've behaved like that and you've created an environment that's prohibitive to the development and the happiness of young players in your workplace, I don't think you should be working in football. If John Yems had just come out and said, listen, what I did was completely out of order and I didn't realise the harm I was doing, I'm going to really try and like take stock of this. I'm going to go and speak to families who are of Nigerian descent, uh, Muslim families, 
people who would have been affected by my language and I'm going to really yeah. strive to never do this again. If I'd seen something like that, right, then I would have been like, do you know what? Like you st- what you said was still grim, but actually what a surprise to see someone in that environment actually be like, I'm massively fucked up here and I feel awful about it and I want to put this right. Not like, oh, but I'm, you know, but like I do a load of charity work. Or, yeah, because like, when you see that response, the response actually like, shows the intent. It's not about you, bro, actually. Well, here's the thing, the response, you've made a great point. The response shows the intent because here's the thing. If I offend someone, right, let's say I offend you and I'm like, I, I mean, say something. When do you not? Yeah, it's true, it's true. <laughs> I'll be like, man, I, man, I hate the fact you're wearing a grey hoodie today. And you're like, you get, I mean, you're really upset because maybe grey is of sentimental value and you're really upset. And I'm like, if I know I've upset you, I'm then like, Ryan, you know what? I'm so sorry because you cause hurt and you want to create a place that is like enjoyable where people enjoy the environment that you're in. Mm. And so when I see him get all defensive like that, I'm thinking, you don't actually want to create that environment where everyone's happy. You don't, because if you did, you'd be horrified that you'd created a space where young players came under your care from all over the world, all these different communities that you're joking about in a way that you thought was, in quotes, thought was friendly. You'd be horrified that that was not the environment you were creating. The fact that you get all defensive shows that actually it's not about that. It's about power. It's not about comfort. It's about power. You don't give it's a about single you- fuck about all of the people you actually hurt. They don't. It's they about don't. You being able to feel like they don't feel guilt-free about the things that you. Yeah. Can I draw a comparison here? Sorry to jump in. I have to. No, I have to throw it. this. I have to throw this in as well. Jeremy Clarkson, in his remarks about Meghan Markle and, um, and that weird Game of Thrones thing. Yeah, he, he's Jeremy Clarkson. For those who haven't seen it, Jeremy Clarkson basically um, has apparently had his contract discontinued by Amazon because they were incandescent at his column that he wrote about Meghan wow. Markle last year. Yeah. Um, and Jeremy Clarkson said, you know, in one of his um, remarks about this in his defense of his column, uh, which contained like scenes of violent misogyny lifted from Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones against Meghan Markle. Um, he said it was just how everyone of his age thought. Everyone, everyone, basically his thing was everyone of my age thinks like this. And it's so interesting because the parallels of the John Yems thing of like, of his generation, but the backlash to what Clarkson said actually shows that in fact, no, actually most people of Clarkson's age, or not all of them think like that. And the same with the John Yems defense, you know, he's of his time, he's 62. We can list so many managers who are far more progressive than Yems were. And the thing to me is this, it's not even about what, what Yems thought or did. It's about young players, as Ian put it on social media, as Ian put it on Twitter, they're the future of our game, these young players. Okay. And you dream of, you dream of making it as a footballer at whatever level. And these are players now, their careers will be defined not by what they achieve on the pitch, by the fact they took John Yems to a, a tribunal. That's it. These people want to be playing football every morning and getting up and excited about match day and what's happened. They've been dragged into something that was nothing to do with them. Like, I hate talking about racism in football. Imagine what they must feel to experience it and have your career derailed by it. And I want listeners to this podcast to understand this. Some people roll their eyes when we talk about racism, Ryan. They still do. And I'm like, yeah, like, it's hateful to have to experience it. And now, like, we're talking about John Yems's feelings. I was talking to a friend about this. He was like, oh yeah, what do I say about this? What I said, dude, don't get drawn into this discourse about the debate, conscious, unconscious. Young players have had their careers irreparably damaged and that's the problem here. And the message this sends now is actually, you can say all that stuff and it's only a short ban. And those are the players that bring it to actual tribunal. Who now, how many players has this been, has this discouraged now? Because they're like, even if we take this guy or this, this woman or this coach to a tribunal, 
they won't get punished. So the silencing effect this is going to have on people experiencing racism all across the football pyramid is absolutely like, it's outrageous, it's absurd, and I think those on the panel, all three of them, should be ashamed of themselves, actually. I think they should be ashamed of themselves. I agree. Um, I mean, I feel like there's nothing else to say on this. It's just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's embarrassing. Should we move on to another grim story? Let's do it. So there was a Players' Tribune article this week from Sarah Bjork Gunnarsdottir, who now plays for Juve, um, the Icelandic captain who spent a good stint at Wolfsburg, obviously won a Champions League with Leon. Um, she did a piece talking about how, like her time when she was away having a baby, having her first child. Yeah. And I didn't even realise that this went to a FIFA Pro and FIFA uh, case because Leon essentially swerved paying her her salary while she wild. was on maternity It's leave. a wild story that, yeah. I feel like the best thing to do would be to recommend people going to read the piece. If you search Players' Tribune, yeah, uh, it's the latest, the, the most recent piece. Yeah, it's called like, What Happened When I Got Pregnant. Yeah. Um, and I just want to read a couple of sec- like bits that she posted because I think this summarises it. So long story short, she realised she got pregnant. She spoke to a couple of people at the club, the doctors, everything. They were kind of fine. They kept it a secret. She was training a lot um, until the point where she threw up a few times in training and the coach was just like, are you going to be okay? And then she realised that she had to tell everyone. Yeah. Um, so everything was agreed in terms of what would happen while she was away. She aimed to come back. I think she said in the piece that she was the, it was going to be the first case of a current Leon player taking time away to have a child and then with the intention of coming back and for like getting back into the team. Mm. Um, there are a few things in here which I just pulled out because I thought that they would be yeah. good to, to mention. So there's one thing she said, which was, I was working with a strength coach every day, which I paid for myself. I had to pay for everything out of my savings. I took a lot out and I wasn't sure I was ever going to get it back. This, that's not a good feeling, especially when you're starting a family. Mm. So basically, apart from the social security, her wages weren't being paid by Leon, even though she, they came to an agreement that they would be. Um, Leon put this down to French law, um, although there were different FIFA rulings and FIFA rulings at this point. But the 1st of April, when I came to Iceland until August, I didn't hear from anyone in the front office or the coaching staff. I was still in close touch with some teammates as well as the doctor and the physios just personally. They were all good friends of mine, but the club never formally reached out. No one checked to see how my training was going, how my pregnancy was progressing. I told myself I would go back and do everything at 110%. I was like, I will show you guys how fit I, I will be. I was ready to just play, but that didn't work out how I planned. Training was different when I got back. I was treated differently. The president also walked into the room while I was there. It was the first time he had seen me since I'd returned with my baby. He didn't even greet me, didn't look or acknowledge Ragnar, her son. But Vincent had just, who was the president? No, he's the, one of the directors, uh, had reassured me five minutes before regarding the case that it wasn't personal. After that moment with the president, it was clear that it was. Leon requested the grounds of the decision. So basically, long story short, she was awarded her entire wages that were not paid during that time, plus 5% interest. Leon requested the grounds of the decision, which one normally does 
if one is intending to, to appeal. And once we got that, we could really read how FIFA analysed the case and had arrived at the conclusions. They talked about the quote-unquote duty of care, which is what we were talking about before, yeah. of the club, that there was no contact with me during my pregnancy. No one was really checking on me, following up, seeing how I was doing mentally or, and physically, both as an employee, but also as a human being. Basically, they had a responsibility to look after me, and they didn't. After Leon received the grounds, they decided not to appeal. Uh, and the last thing I want to say is this quote where she says, this is not just business. This is about my rights as a worker, as a woman, and as a human being. And I think this was a real eye-opener for people. Yeah, yeah. That this can happen at the absolute elite level yes. of women's football in yes. Europe. yeah. And how much work there still needs to be done to create the environment that women can have take maternity leave like they can yeah. in any other job yeah, and be fairly supported and compensated for it. The story is wild. The whole it's thing so is just wild. like, how did Leon think this was going to play out? Do they really think they mm. were going to get away with this without any kind of like any backlash? I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's so strange. Like the profile of the signing the importance that she had, like, you know, the visibility of, of her and her work for so long. And then the, 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 the way that she lays it out in her Players Tribune essay is almost, you read it and you're like, wow, they really just no effort made, no effort made to engage with her, almost a kind of, I hesitate to use this phrase, but almost a resentment. Yeah. I almost a resentment mm-hmm. of like, you let, you let us down. We're building something here. We brought you in and, and you, you're having a child. Like almost like a, a resentment, it felt like, just looking at the kind of the facts as they were laid out and the way that she was frozen out. You know, you, you hear talk about, um, there was a, I was reading a, uh, an autobiography of one of the man of the managers a few years ago about how when a biography of a, a, a football manager from the 1980s, and they were saying that when you were injured, you were, de- you were dead to them. You were invisible to them. They didn't acknowledge you because what, if you were not available for selection, you didn't exist. And this felt like a parallel with that. When I read this essay, I just thought, okay, like she's not, we can't pick her. Therefore, she's not a factor to us. And to be honest as well, I was a bit concerned. You look at the amount that she claimed back in the end that she won. Uh, it was about 80,000 euros, I think. Mm. You not, think not, yeah. not a vast no. amount of money for one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. And just a reminder that you know, what women are earning. And there's a great um, episode of um, Counterpress that Flo puts out recently and, and her team when they talk about the sacrifices women make in football, mm. some of them doing, you know, yeah, three or four on, jobs a day. Definitely Just that, felt yeah. like a parallel with that, like felt like part of the same conversation where the things women are expected to sacrifice, even at the top level of our professional sport, are such that it's prohibitive to continue performing. And it's a bad look for Leon. Leon who built themselves for so many years on the basis of being a club, which is very much um, a supportive environment for women in the game. The fact that they didn't appeal as well, I think speaks volumes. Yeah, this is, this is, this is really, this is ugly. This is ugly for them. Mm. I just really hope that, that what she says in the essay that she's at Juve now, she's very happy and Mm. that's ultimately the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. The second thing is that this kind of story just raises awareness of the conditions that even the most elite women footballers still have to go through. And 
I mean, this comes in a week, by the way, which uh, the Welsh FA announced equal pay for the men's and women's national sides, which I think is just a really big step and something that it should be the, the direction of travel. Yeah, 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 that's right. Professional football clubs in the, at the top level, they're financially se- secure enough that they're elite players or any players within that squad mm. can be supported and financially compensated at times like this. There mm. is no reason why they shouldn't be. Yeah. And the fact that a woman had to go through pregnancy at a club like Leon with such uncertainty and the toll that must have taken on her, I think is is so disappointing. Yeah, yeah. And big props to her for, for doing that case and for writing that piece because I think that's going to get on a lot of people's radars and yeah, hopefully yeah. will lead to some real change. Yeah. And shout out to the beautiful Ragnar. Lovely picture of Ragnar in the picture. Oh my he's, goodness. He's given some Angelotti eyebrows as well in that. Did you notice? He was a bit like, hello. Let's, imagine let's imagine walking to a room and seeing Ragnar and ignoring him. Bad look, director. Bad, bad look. Bad, bad look. Bad look. That's the tell. You failed exactly. to test. That's the, that's the tell. Uh, should we take another quick break? Let's do it. All right, man. Final part of the show. Yes. I'm going to talk about Everton because it was... A bit of a heavy weekend for Everton. Mm. Another defeat, this time at home to Southampton, who were bottom of the table and closed the gap on Everton, who are next to bottom. And a weekend marred with briefings from the club that had no evidence behind them. Merseyside police coming out with a statement of their own saying that they had received no reports from the club on any of the issues that they outlined in the statement. A lot of fans took the heat because of that and were rightly angered by it I think and while all of this while staging a peaceful sit-in protest at the board and the ownership of the football club like I mentioned at the top of the show I went back and checked our podcast we did a year ago when Benitez was sacked and not a huge amount has changed Mm. really just I was intrigued to to say what we said and actually the only thing there was a wild hot take in there though. Because bear in mind, he was niece manager at the time, but you were like, they should just go for someone like Galtier. Do you know what's and so wild? Went, narrator's voice, they went for Frank Lampard. But there's, Galtier has never been, Galtier's arc has never been further from Everton's arc. This is the sad thing about just a year in football. The one major change actually, the one major change, and I have to sort of shout out the Guardian for this, mm. uh, the investigator of reporting um, by Simon Goodley came out on the Sunday, last Sunday. It's not entirely clear who Everton's owner is. As if this mm. couldn't get worse. You think of all the things that Everton have been through, right? And now this report comes out. Five people were interviewed for the position of manager, um, now filled by Frank Lampard. And those people, those are, well, more than five were interviewed, but five people were interviewed in the presence of Alisha Usmanov. And they came away with the impression that Usmanov was the owner of Everton Football Club. That is extraordinary. Right. Mm. So on top of everything piece. we talked about, yeah, in the Guardian on Simon Goodley, January, yeah. Simon Goodley, yeah. So of all the things Everton have experienced, and on top of that, oh, actually, we're not even sure who the who the owner actually is. Mm. It's wild that they're going through that. So, where do you even begin? Where do you end with it? Well, I mean, the latest story on this is, or the latest update on this is that yesterday, the Everton Shareholders Association called for a vote of no confidence in the club's board of directors. Wow. Uh, the campaign group NS Now or NSNOW have written several several letters, open letters to Fab Mashiri, calling for sweeping change at board level. The group has also organised the sitting process that took place at the weekend, 
Association chair Dave Kelly said, this is taken from a piece in The Athletic, our football club is a mess and we've got no other route to go down. Mm. He hopes that, uh, he added that he hopes for a conclusive vote which will send a message to Owen Mashiri. And the thing about this is, like, I'm not, uh, judging by their behaviour so far, I'm not entirely sure that this will change a huge amount. No. And that's the concerning thing because at the moment, like we said in this podcast a year ago, that this was a club that has such a rich history and we were saying it just doesn't seem to have a plan. They spent a lot of money and they haven't really had a plan. The difference in managers that they've had over the last few years, especially under Mashiri, has been like each profile of manager has been wildly different. Mm. And the thing that I would say now is that, I mean, we said at the time, if you were a young player and all they needed to do was to get this right, if you were a young player like there are a few better places that you could go to than Everton. Mm. Even now, even now, even, even though now, they're bottom of the Premier League, even now they still manage to like pushing through players. And if you look at the progress of Brentford and uh, Brighton specifically, Fulham as well, um, but Brentford and Brighton in terms of clubs with a clear identity, mm. with fewer resources, spent less money, way, way, way less money than Everton over the last few years, far less silverware in their history. And you look at the clarity of thought from ownership down to first team manager or first team trainer, head coach. Everything's joined up. Yeah. And look at what you can do. Imagine if a club like Everton had that kind of thinking. And the thing for me, I'm not going on a bit, so I'll wrap up. I feel that actually the main point that I wanted to make when we said that we talk about Everton again was that nothing has changed in a year. Despite, to be fair, there were moments early on in the season where we were like, everyone look okay, you know? And that's the fact that they were getting, like Frank was somehow at a point this season managing mm. to get some decent performances out of them on the pitch while all of the shit is going on behind. That's a, that's a noisy job. Something's already changed though. There. The scary thing, something's already changed for Everton. I say this with great sympathy. The quality of play they can attract is already, mm. is already now it ha- yeah. declined. In, yeah. in a year, yeah. But the thought, the thought of, a year ago they had Richarlison you don't get a Richarlison now. You don't get the next no. Richarlison now. This is the problem. If Everton go down, and that's a prospect that has to be engaged with, a possibly has to be engaged with, they're not coming straight back up, Ryan. They're no, not. This is the thing. We were chatting this to an Everton concern. fan the other day. I was chatting to an Everton fan the other day. And they were saying, because I was, I was, I've they're always been of the belief well. of Everton. Yeah. I was just like, oh, that, they'll be okay. They're Everton. They'll be okay. And actually he was just like, no, no, no. I don't think we'll be okay this time. And if we go down, it's going to be so hard to come out of, get out of the championship. Yeah. And that's the worrying thing at the moment. But I just feel that, <sighs> I know that success is relative, but this Everton thing had me, got me thinking a little bit about how we gauge success within football. Now, mm. I said this on the po- the Everton podcast last day, like fans are really, really smart. Yeah. And a lot of people at uh, executive level of football clubs underestimate how smart they are and how much they are willing to get behind a club that is, isn't even going to compete for silverware if they see something to believe in, because most clubs don't see silverware every year. Right. They can't. Most fans don't get to celebrate silverware every year. But what they want is something to believe in or something to invest in. This is like a, for the majority of fans, especially a club like Everton, they don't go to watch Everton because they want to win the Champions League or they expect to win the Champions League. Obviously, everyone wants to win the Champions League, but they go to Everton and they go to Goodison because it's part of their social ritual. Yes. They will gladly cheer on 
11 academy graduates who are playing some really fun stuff but might be mega naive and they might finish 13th hmm. if they see that there's a plan there or there's a clear strategy but or owners and a board that actually believe in the club or want the club to develop and want the club to do well but like if you look at how much money that Everton have spent over the last few years and who they've spent it on and what what they've got for that and how the club looks like it like the kind of shape that the club is in it must be so hard for Everton fans to actually be like well what do we what is there for us to get behind here yeah Anthony exactly. Gordon and exactly. he might or and he kind of nearly bounced to Chelsea already yeah it must be so frustrating I can't imagine because it's like, you know what it is? It's like the slow motion, not the slow motion, the plummet. And it's because of the history as well, because of all the things, you know, you go way back past Kendall, Harry, you know, Catterick and all of that, and that never having been relegated, all of that, that's huge, actually. All mm. of that is huge. And um, as actually a friend brought me a DM the other day about this and going like, I wish we could get behind that more, like, you know, be more proud of that. I, think, I don't think it's that Everton fans aren't proud of all of that, of that history. It's more that like, there's a sense of a helplessness because if you've got people spending vast amounts of money on the club and on signings, you're like, okay, hang on a minute. They must, they must care to spend money, right? If you, didn't, if you didn't care at all, you wouldn't spend anything. But then you're too arrogant to get a proper direction on how it should be spent. So what is this club to you then? Is it a plaything? Is it a distraction? Is it like a bauble? You know that scene at the end of a, it's a I hate this reference because people won't know the movie because it's such an old movie. But like the end of like Men in Black, when they're when you've got elephants playing with the universe, it's like they're just marbles on a big plane. They just play, they're just tossing them around like it's nothing, right? And it's like that. It's like this is this is just like um Everton's just a bauble in a rich person's game. Or in the game of multiple rich people, because now they look at Everton now, like, how is that an attractive club for a player looking to develop? for an elite manager, for an elite forward, it's not. And you lose a guy like Calvert-Lewin, you lose a guy like Calvert-Lewin and you're in big trouble because you don't get those people just anywhere. No, I mean, you said, you said on that podcast a year ago, you were like, but this was before Frank took charge. Mm. Like, it's a good job for someone to walk into, actually, because it feels like the only way is up. Right. Unfortunately for Lampard, I think he was the wrong kind of profile of manager to go in there and really you need it almost like I know it's very easy to say this now and I'm not sure it would have worked because so much of the reason that it has worked is that there is a really really strong system above first team level but someone mm. like a Deserby you need someone innovative someone to go really in like absolutely someone who's going to come in and be like right guys you need to be bold imagine going yeah, in there yeah. off day one and be like right guys how have you been playing so far be like, oh, we played under Benitez and then someone comes in and goes how do you guys feel about luring the opposition basically to kind of come and press us on our bat line and then we'll just play around them and break. Yeah. Everyone's going to be like, this sounds mega. Exactly. And you buy into a system. You and need actually, someone if you to look come at the player profile that Everton yeah. have, yeah. they have a lot of players who can hurt you. Like we've talked about, like Awobi literally got flowers on Wright's house this year. Yeah. Or this season, sorry. Because of how he'd adapted into that number eight role. And he's been playing, like he's been, at times this season, he's been playing so well. They have players who can hurt you down both flanks. I have a little bit of sympathy for Lampard, actually. Yeah. Because of the environment that he's having to do his job in. I have more sympathy with him, especially, you know, I've got more sympathy with him this year. Do you know why? Because this yeah. year he's been so much better yeah, in supporting I, his players in public. And I, I just, agree. That was the yeah. major thing he had to change because at the moment, at the time he came in, it was too much like, to be honest, it, it felt a bit entitled. 
Yeah, it did. Yeah, throwing players under the bus, and that's not something he's doing I now. So he's, full I, yeah, I credit. Think you're right there. It I think he's like learned. We've seen a different Lampard. This I think season. we have. And the, the, the one thing I would say, and this is sadly a thing that is, it's beyond most managers. The thing mm. you say about coming in and just being innovative and exciting, you need. We've seen it so many times in relegation battles before. It helped if you just kind of ground your way out. But now, the way the Premier League is, you've got to play a way out of trouble. Southampton have yeah. done that. Southampton have played exciting football and they're getting up there. Look at them. Southampton are moving, right? I mean, yeah, there's still they're, a long way to go long, Southampton. A long way, but if you I'm look at what- I'm not convinced of them. And, at the not moment, yet, but if you so. look at like what has got them off the- It's not grinding that is getting people off. You have to have like some kind of a- but it's been the, but Southampton's a prime example. Sorry to cut in, but yeah, like the week yeah. that they've had beating City in the in right. the League Cup and then beating Southampton, uh, sorry, and then beating Everton away. Right, it kind of feels like it's been a while since Everton had that kind of week, and you need those weeks. Like for example, I'm not entirely sure Southampton beat Everton if they don't beat City in the week. You know, and you, 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 you called you it. You said it was it a galvanised yeah. victory. Yeah. Like a you need to kind of go for it. And there's just in, in, in Lampard's defence, there's very few managers that have the kind of the goal to go for it. You know, if if Everton do get the luck to get like a really innovative attacking manager, that's the only thing that can save them at this point. If they've got the kind of, if there's someone on the board, and this unfortunately, let me let me just let me just park that thought. If there's someone on the board, because with the kind of the leaks coming out of Everton Football Club, I'm actually not confident that they have the uh, the creativity, or and that's going to sound harsh. The creativity or the the fortitude to make those kinds of decisions. Mm. The fact that five people came out and said we got interviewed in the presence of Alisher Usmanov, and the club has out a statement going, actually, he's never been present for an interview. Someone's not telling the truth, and given and that's an echo of what's happened this week. Thank like, you. Well, there's... Given the given the things coming out of the club at the moment, I just don't trust them to make good decisions. On this or is off trust the pitch. is a really good point, and this is the thing it's that trust, no matter yeah. how well you're doing as a football club in terms of like how where you are in the league or how many like trophies you've been winning, you absolutely have to have a level of trust there. Yes, and that trust is going to waver. There have been teams that have been winning stuff that the level of trust has fluctuated hugely of the board. Yes. You can have dips in form. You can have bad runs. That's going to happen all the time because that's football. No one can win. It's not FIFA. Mm. No one can win every, like the, the video game. No one can win every single game just because you have a certain amount of personnel there. It's like, it's real life. Yeah. Fans know that. But what fans want is to at least be able to trust the people like of whose ha- like hands the football club is in. Yes, that's it. That's and at the moment, it. like, why, I don't see if, that if you're Everton. a fan of Everton, why the hell would you trust any of that board? Completely agree. I completely agree. And I feel the, the, the sad thing is they have the stadium move lined up and they're one of England's great old clubs, Everton. I think it's very easy for people to forget that, you know, they are a club with a rich history. Huge club. Yeah. Do you know what? Like I, I was always a little bit like, nah, they're Everton. It's one of those kind of, nah, it's Everton. Come on. They're, they're never going to really go down. But like after last season and what's going on this season, I really do worry for them. Yeah. There was one game I saw recently where I was just like, okay, for the first time, I'm actually, mm. I'm anxious for them. I'm nervous for them. That's the first time. I remember just, it was the way they lost. And I just thought, ah, yeah, this is, this is different. This feels different. That is a team I really, really, I, if there's any team I would hope to get a really great ownership 
That's the one that I really so root much. for. That's the one that's, I root that's, for. That's for a, a club where like this kind of independent fan review and and in, uh, you know an overhaul of ownership of the ownership model in the Premier League is like that's a club that that would absolutely benefit. Yeah, like from the jump. So I keep thinking back to like even the ban from like Europe all that time, you know, and how that really hurt a club like Everton because yeah. the stage that puts them on. And the state, and that, that, that can one of the best periods yeah. in their history, winning the league twice in like, what, three yeah. years and all of that, like one of their golden ages. And it really just, they're, they're a club that haven't, and some might say, oh, you're going a bit easy on us, you know, but I feel like that's a club that hasn't always had, when luck has been handed out, Everton haven't always had it, mm. I think. Um, and I hope things break for them. Yeah, I agree. Should we bounce? Bounce. Well, hope it turns around football, for Everton. Can be I hope cruel. it turns around. Yeah, it can. It really can. Uh, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Don't forget to check Wright's House on Friday and uh, check this week's Counterpressed episodes. Don't forget to check theringer.com and check the Stadio Outros plays on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on Asmus Teachens, a track called Truma Kupfer. How's that for my German pronunciation? Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to add, Miss Ogwonga? Nothing further. I mean, what's, what can I follow with German pronunciation like that? My goodness. Vielen Dank, sehr nett. All right, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. Schönes Wochenende. Oh, my goodness. There he is again. Und uh, <laughs> bis Montag. Ja, bis bald. Bis Tschüssi. sehen uns. Bis sehen uns. Yeah.